The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. Ready? All right, here we go. From the 10, throwing end zone. Spectacular catch. They're saying it's a catch. Touchdown. You see, most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh, my God. That's incredible. Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another NFL episode of the award-winning Action Network podcast. I am Matthew Friedman, the editor-in-chief of Fantasy Labs. With me are Sean Corner and Chris Raybon. Sean is the Action Network Director of Predictive Analytics. Chris is a Senior Editor and Analyst at the Action Network, and they are two of the best fantasy football rankers in the world. And joining us is a very special guest, one of the godfathers of the fantasy industry, Sigmund Bloom, a co-owner of Football Guys and the host of the On the Couch podcast. Sigmund, thanks for joining us. Thanks. You know, I still think of myself as a soldier, and I guess I just survived long enough. I guess that's how it works in the mafia, right? So uh, I'm just glad I'm still alive in 2020. You start out as a button man, and then you yeah. work your way up. Exactly. You know, so you you have worked your way up sufficiently, and now you are your. I mean, I don't know if I'd say you're a full don, but you're at a minimum an underboss. Of a someone. made man. It's that's yes. all I really care about. Yes. Yes, you are certainly made. So it's great to have you back on the podcast. We are in the middle of a fantastic run of shows with lots of great guests. We've recently had Evan Silva, Ian Harditz, Denny Carter, Matt Harmon, Mike Taglier, Graham Barfield, Jake Seeley, and Dave Richard. That is a murderer's row. And we just released our annual Fantasy 101 show. All of those episodes are fantastic. Check them out as well as our rankings and up-to-the-minute projections in the fantasy football cheat sheet at the Action Network. Today, we are talking with Sig about the potential fantasy bust for 2020, the guys we're looking to steer clear of. If you like what you hear, give us that five-star rating, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Gentlemen, let's get into it. Sig, this episode is about the bust, but I'm curious about the players you like, the guys you've gotten the most of in your draft this year, quarterback, running back, mm -hmm. wide receiver, tight end. Who do you like? Quarterback, early Lamar Jackson. I still think he's a top five value. Get him in the second, third round. Late Teddy Bridgewater. Even Tyrod Taylor. I see both of those guys vastly outproducing the minimal cost. Uh, maybe even getting off to hot starts. Running back, late. A ton of Duke Johnson. I'm going to be a sucker for Duke Johnson again. And Naeem Hines. Uh, chance to be the new Austin Eckler. I was really impressed with what I saw from him last year. Um, wide receiver, I end up with a lot of Adam Thielen, probably going to lead the league in targets this year. I end up late with a ton of Randall Cobb. I think he, he might lead the Texans in targets. Tight end, I end up with uh, George Kittle a lot if I get a late second-round draft slot. And the injuries of wide receiver for the 49ers just make him look better and better. Late, uh, Blake Jarwin, Irv Smith, depends on which one falls. Mike Kosicki. Uh, there's a ton of late-round tight ends. They might all be right picks this year even. Do you tend to have a general strategy uh, when it comes to drafting, like uh, zero running back yeah. or robust? Do you have anything like that? Sure. This year, I think it's get your running back early. It can be in the early second, maybe even the second. Get a running back and then wait to take your second running back. Feel free to throw darts there. Um, I like getting early tight ends and quarterbacks this year because the second round, the second round wide receivers and running backs don't look that different than the third round. 
rounders, or even if we're talking about wide receivers, fourth rounders and fifth rounders. So I'm taking somebody I think that can dominate at their position there. And overall, upside drafting, upside drafting, upside drafting. You're always thinking about a player's best case scenario. You're going to use your skills as a good waiver wire player, trading, depth is going to be the residue of just managing your team well. You don't need to draft for depth, even in 2020. Hey, Sig, you just mentioned uh, you're kind of always thinking about the upside, but um, when it comes to a bust, how do you actually define it? This is a good question, right? We could do it the whole hour on this question. First of all, like anybody taken after the seventh, eighth round can't be a bust, really. You invest so little in them anyway. Any player outside the top 100 this is why you're thinking upside because you're not attached to them. You'll kick them to the curb after week one, maybe. We can say they're a bust in terms of their own career expectations or the arc of their career, but not as a fantasy investment. Uh, and then I suppose the next layer would be whether a player is a player have to be culpable in the circumstances of his underperformance, right? Like if like the, were the, I guess James Conner and Juju Smith-Schuster were busts last year, but how big a part of that was Ben Roethlisberger's injury, at least when we think about their bust risk this year. Um, if players getting injured, you might classify differently than somebody, say, like David Montgomery, who got all the opportunity, but wasn't able to convert in a way that made us trust him. So we might not treat all busts differently, but I, I think that... If it's a first-round pick, if they're not being a difference maker in your lineup, they're a bust. If they're a second-round pick, even third-round pick, if you can't confidently start them every week, they're a bust. If they're a fourth- to seventh-round pick, um, if you don't know when you can start them, if they become a pain to think about every time you're setting your lineup, that's a threshold, I think, for being a bust. You still want somebody who at least gives you some comfort level. Uh, and I, I think this question is really important because in some ways, getting the busts right in your preseason evaluation can be more important than the hits. Yeah, Sigmund, I agree entirely with you about early on thinking about these busts. It's more important to get right the guys that you stay away from. As long as you don't step on any of those landmines, you're probably going to do okay. You have a pretty decent chance of being competitive, especially if you, in the later rounds, have upside in mind and you're able to hit on some of those guys later in the draft. You know, and I also like the idea that you mentioned that there's kind of the distinction between guys who suffer an injury uh, and the guys who are on the field but underperform. Uh, some people might continue to think of both of those guys as bust, but there's uh, a clear kind of difference in the way that they, they reach their underperformance uh, and what it might mean both for that season and then also future seasons. Sean, I want to kick it to you, and then I'm going to ask Rayvon on this. What is your personal definition of a bust? How do you kind of evaluate that and think of it? Yeah, it's, it's pretty complicated. Like Sig said, I could talk about this for an hour, but I think it does have to do with opportunity costs as well. So I think you could have guys bust later on. Um, I know you and I, we were gravitating towards like Austin Hooper and Mark Andrews at the tail end of the drafts at tight end. And if you were going for other tight ends um, at that point, um, you know, I would consider them a bust just because you missed out on that upside. But yeah, I think an injury, I wouldn't necessarily call that a bust. That's something that you can't really predict. Um, so, I mean, the classic example would be David Johnson last year who, yes, he dealt with injuries, but I mean, even when he was healthy again, 
Um, I mean, he was a backup running back, and a lot of people took him fifth overall. So, I mean, David Johnson is probably the definition of a bust where if, if you take it in the first three rounds and you can't confidently start them um, later in the season, that's basically uh, the, the textbook definition of a bust, in my opinion. Rayvon, where are you on this? I feel like a lot of people think about a bust in terms of like blame and like, do we blame the player? Do we blame ourselves for taking that player? Whereas I just think of a bust as anybody who severely underperforms their value in the early rounds. So if you're drafting in the first six, seven rounds and that player is not returning starter value, that's a bust. I think every player has the potential to bust. There's a percentage chance uh, that every player could bust. So you know, as you guys mentioned, it's just about kind of staying away from the guys with the highest likelihood to bust. Like if a guy gets injured, even if it's not his fault, he's still a bust or, you know, something unlucky happens, it's still a bust. So everyone has this like baseline potential bust rate. And then there are guys uh, that we'll talk about that that likelihood is elevated. All right. Well, let's get into uh, these guys in more depth. And Sig, I want to start at the quarterback position and get your thoughts on you know, the guys, you know, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe two guys that you think of as the quarterbacks who have bust potential. So, you know, probably someone who's going in the top eight or so in the position, maybe the top 12 in the position, but guys that you think, you know, even though I'm willing to take a quarterback early, I want to stay away from this guy. Deshaun Watson comes to mind right away. And it's because of the uncertainty without DeAndre Hopkins combined with Watson's penchant for holding on to the ball for a long time, never say die attitude about making plays takes a lot of sacks. So then that in turn increases the injury risk. I, he was already up and down last year. Watson on average was good, but it wasn't as smooth a ride as the final ranking would indicate. So in that tier that's pretty tightly packed, I'm looking at Dak Prescott and Russell Wilson before I take Watson. So I'm not usually getting Watson and even Kyler Murray. I mean, I want Kyler Murray to be a thing. We all want Kyler Murray to be a thing still, you know, this was an ideal off season for his game to progress. I think Hopkins is going to help him. But when you look at the ceiling that Prescott and Wilson and Watson really have already established, it's pretty aspirational to put Murray with them at this point. Sean, where are you on those guys, Watson and, to a lesser degree, Kyler Murray? Uh, I, I still like those guys, especially where they're going. I, I have them basically in that uh, Tier 2 range. where I do like their uh, floor-ceiling uh, combo. So th- the guy that I'm avoiding would be Josh Allen. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think it's like an egregious pick when people take him. I understand the upside. I think when it comes to Josh Allen, though, I think people just assume, you know, he's going to improve uh, in the passing game this year just because, you know, it's his third season. He has Stephon Diggs. And then we'll just also carry over all those rushing stats as well. And I, I just don't think that's true. Um, you know, the, his first two seasons, he's had eight and nine rushing touchdowns. And I think that's where we'll see uh, some regression heading into this year. Um, last year, he converted uh, eight of the ten uh, rush attempts inside the five. Uh, that is definitely unsustainable. I would I would assume that would go closer to 50%. And a lot of that had to do with Frank Gore just being absolutely brutal. Um, by the goal line, he he converted two of 12 uh, rush attempts inside the five. So if you think about it, that kind of led to a couple more attempts for Allen to begin with. So, you know, I think with, when they draft Zach Moss, I think they do intend to have him sort of be the, the goal line back. And if he's 
even you know more efficient than Frank Gore, it's going to hurt uh, Josh Allen's upside there. So I, I just think you know I'm expecting closer to five and a half rushing touchdowns as opposed to nine again. So he's going to have to improve significantly in the passing. Uh, game to really replace those uh, fancy points. So that's why I think just people are being a little too bullish on Josh Allen where he's going at uh, QB7. And the other guy real quick is just Aaron Rodgers. I think he's <laughs> he's being drafted QB12 based on name value. Uh, I mean, the Packers had a very, uh, you know, DGAF offseason when it comes to giving him some uh, help. Uh, you know, they added Devin Funches. They said, here you go. And then he opted out. So um, you know, it's. Uh, I still like Devontae Adams this year. I think most of the targets will go there. Uh, I could, you know, take Alan Lazard later in the draft. But I think Aaron Rodgers uh, will be heading a more run-heavy offense uh, this year. And I just think taking him 12, uh, it's probably based on namesake. Uh, I think there's better upside around that range. So that's why I think uh, he'll be a bust if you're taking him as a QB1 this year. Sig, you gave a little chuckle there. What yeah. are your thoughts on Aaron Rodgers? The fear with Rodgers is – Last year, he crushed, and Daniel Jones' profile wasn't that different, and Jared Goff wasn't that different either. He crushed in those easy matchups, right? Like weak, tilting numbers, which then made you want to go back in and dip your toe in the water and start him, and he kept rolling snake eyes, rolling snake eyes. Now, Goff and Daniel Jones, like Daniel Jones, everyone knows that by now, like Pittsburgh, Chicago, San Francisco to open the season. So you're probably not going to play him in those first three games. You're not going to be tempted. You're not going to be tempted with Jared Goff after what he did in November. He didn't throw a touchdown for the whole month. But Aaron Rodgers will pull you back in. You know, have that one five-touchdown game against a horrendous pass defense. And then you think, oh, he's back. But it's just not going to happen. And I think that's one of the best reality show stories of the season, right? It's just watching what happens with the simmering tension in Green Bay after what they did in the draft. Raybon, who are you staying away from here? I imagine Aaron Rodgers might have been one of your guys. Oh, man. I, I haven't drafted Aaron Rodgers in, like, four years. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, I'll play him in DFS, you know, as Six said, in those, in those matches. But Aaron Rodgers, he's, he's, not, he's not worth it at this point. He's not running as much. He's a guy that you want to pick up or trade for at the right time and use sparingly. You don't need him on your roster all year. But going back to, you know, quarterbacks who could be potentially busts, I would say it's pretty much every quarterback that is going in the top eight except Patrick Mahomes because I think and even Patrick Mahomes we saw last year you know injuries can strike but that's a very um I think that was on his lowest end range of outcomes I don't think that's likely to repeat but I mean you look at a guy like Lamar Jackson as much upside as he has he's six foot two 212 pounds uh, he's going to be running the ball 100 plus times most likely uh you know the ball is going to be in his hands regardless like he could get hurt things could happen uh, with him and there are so many quarterbacks that you can take late that you know if these guys get hurt if they miss a game if they're just average instead of great uh, it's really going to sink you so um, I think pretty much every quarterback uh, you know that's going early is it has huge bust, bust potential uh, as far as you know kind of that tier with Kyler and Dak in particular I would say out of those guys if I had to pick one uh, that's potentially a bust it would be Kyler and you know I'm the biggest Kyler fan but DeAndre Hopkins as good as he is is a he's like a possession receiver um, in terms of the numbers right so he averaged uh, around 11 yards per catch last year even if Kyler throws the ball to him you know 150 times or so that's not necessarily going to add a lot to the bottom line in the way you know targeting a guy like Deshaun Jackson maybe a hundred times would 
because um, Kyra, you know, he, he was already kind of a, a low end, low to mid range um, YPA guy. I don't know if Hopkins is going to necessarily raise it. So, um, you know, Kyra could just be in that quarterback like eight to 12 range again. And you're spending a high pick on him. So uh, I think just kind of be careful with all of the quarterbacks uh, going, going early because um, you could take your pick. There are just so many late, even, even if you're fading Rodgers or, or Daniel Jones, who I happen to like. Um, but, you know, even if you're fading those guys, there are just so many guys that you can get late. So I think all of these guys have bust potential uh, that are going early. Yeah, Ravon, you said that like a, uh, a true late-round quarterback uh, investor, and I'm there with you. Uh, all of these guys seem as if they might have uh, so, some bust potential when you think about the production that you potentially could get out of the guys who are available later. Josh Allen, I'm going to second Sean, uh, Sean's guy here. Uh, he's the one uh, in the top 10 that I would probably be the most apprehensive about, uh, in part because I'm just not sure if he's actually a good football player. The The way that these other guys actually are good football players. Uh, it's just, you know, sometimes he has difficulties completing passes that uh, should be routine for most quarterbacks. And when that happens, I just think, you know what, this guy is someone I just might want to uh, go underweight on in my, uh, my portfolios of rosters. So he's the guy that at the quarterback position, I think has the, uh, the biggest bust potential for 2020. Oh, one more. One more I forgot to mention. Just because I feel like no one's really talking about this anymore, but Tom Brady has a lot of bust potential because there are some people that are really excited about drafting him, and there's a lot of optimism about Tampa Bay. But, um, you know, when you're just kind of weighing downside risk, you know, we did see Brady struggle last year. I think it had a lot to do with the supporting cast. But then again, we tried to explain away, you know, when Peyton Manning slowed down kind of that year before, and then it went, you know, south. So, there's going to come a point in time and it's going to be pretty soon where Brady's going to just go south and the same thing for Drew Brees. So I would say those guys have kind of underrated bus potential that people, I don't know if we just forgot that old quarterbacks do this sometimes, but it hasn't really been a lot of hype around their potential, their bus potential. So be careful with those guys as well. So Chris Raybon hates Tom Brady and Drew Brees. <laughs> That's, uh, uh, nah, nah. It's, it's just that, you know, like, we're not talking about it, but there's a significant downside risk with, like, a 43-year-old quarterback who's going on the high end of, like, those late-round quarterbacks, right? Like, usually having to spend, like, you know, the QB 9, 10-ish uh, spots to, to get those guys. Brady doesn't throw enough interceptions to run the Jameis Winston, Ryan Fitzpatrick type of Bucks offense we've become accustomed to. So it's almost like he's too good. <laughs> but, yeah, I, I can get behind that because he's, what, QB 11 right now? There is some a lower floor there than people realize. When we identify a quarterback as a possible bust, when we feel some sense of confidence in it, we should be thinking about the players downstream from them who will also be suffering to keep our rankings internally consistent. All right, let's talk about some of these running backs. Uh, Sig, some guys that you want to stay away from. And I'll just say, I feel like there are going to be some very chalk backs. David Johnson, Todd Gurley, anyone who's basically 26 years or older, something like that. But who are some of the guys that you're looking at and you're like, you know what, I just, I do not want this guy on my team. Austin Eckler is probably a guy that's not going to end up on my teams. He's just below that break point where in the second round, I'm not sure enough that he's going to be a distinct advantage. Uh, I don't even know if he's going to hold the line at running back one. And the Chargers offense is another good jumping off point to discussion of we know it's going to be different how is it going to be different how do you react appropriately so i'm probably not taking austin eckler in the second 
getting a little further down the board, I'm still probably not talking myself into Devin Singletary at this point. And he's another one where we're going to see if the scales tilt. So another thing I'm looking at now is like combined ADP of backfields. And if it makes sense, uh, Gordon and Lindsay is one that I'm adjusting. Singletary and Moss are probably already talked about Moss once on the show, probably closer in ADP or should be closer than the ADP indicates. So I'm probably not going to go for Singletary right now when he's overpriced. I, I understand you're a made man, but I think Raybon's considering whacking you for that, uh, Austin Eckler. Oh man, I, I, you're not you're not taking Austin Eckler in the second. I'm taking him in the first. Austin Eckler <laughs> is the I think of all the non you know top five backs in, in, in Ceh, um, he's the guy that could a pro, like be a McCaffrey or or a poor man's McCaffrey, I should say, like. Even if you don't think that he is going to command a huge workload, and he got 20 touches per game when Gordon was out last year, uh, and, and they don't really have a number two back that they're confident in, as you know, evidenced by you know Justin Jackson's kind of hanging on by the, the strings to that uh, that number two job. So, he, but even if you think he's not going to get that that much of a workload, he's been extremely productive on a muted workload throughout his entire career. Yeah. He averages, you know, over six yards a touch. He's done nothing but play good football every time he's on the field. I don't think he has much of a floor at all. I think you can argue about maybe his ceiling and say, okay, uh, you know, maybe they're going to kind of hold his workload in check. But uh, even if he's one of those guys that gets like that, you know, uh, satellite back usage, He's gonna he's gonna get more touches than last year, and he's so ridiculously productive. He's never averaged fewer than ten yards a catch. I mean, this guy just is really good. Uh, I I would not hesitate to take Eckler at all. Sig, what do you think? Yeah, no, I'm not arguing with Eckler as a player at all. And I'm like any call any of us make, I'm open to being wrong. I'm concerned about the difference from Rivers to Taylor in the efficiency of the running back targets. And I'm curious, that's why I have naive minds on like every team, because I do think that Phillip Rivers uh, was one of the best at finding the running back and was adding value. And I'm not saying it won't happen for Eckler. I mean, Taylor targeted LaShawn McCoy a healthy amount when he was at Buffalo. But I think it is more, like Chris was saying, about the ceiling if he's not getting goal line carries. Um, and I also just think the Chargers are going to be just – dreadfully boring to watch this year i think anthony lynn he's come right out and said he just wants no turnovers he, he doesn't like the turnovers that philip rivers were was creating and he liked that tyrod taylor has a very low interception rate they have a good defense um and i actually think that we could see kelly and jackson i think we could see uh, a kind of a, I mean, they traded for try turner right so here's your statement of intention you trade Russell Okung for Tri Turner. They want to be a ground and pound, limit turnovers, win games in a boring Herm Edwards. Every drive that ends in a kick is a good drive kind of way. That's what I'm worried about. But Eckler could transcend that because he's been transcending any obstacle in his way so far in his career. Think about this, and, and you know, again, I, and I hate to keep bringing up CMC because it's not yeah. fair. He's the best. Like I'm not putting yeah. any, anyone in that sure. conversation. But what, remember that the Carolina Panthers last year had literally the worst quarterbacking situation this side of the Steelers. Like if you look at the numbers and the only way for them to sustain any type of offense was to give Christian McCaffrey the ball. I'm like, I don't think like, for example, with Sean McCoy was had anything to do with Tyrod Taylor or not. 
Rashawn McCoy is going to get targeted because he's Rashawn McCoy. It's the same mm-hmm. thing with McCaffrey. It's the same thing with Eckler. Like, Anthony Lynn's a running back coach, and Eckler has flourished under him. I think Anthony Lynn thinks this guy is, like, a superstar. I don't think they're at all – like, I think they're just worried about – you know, every team needs a number two back. Like, I mean, they've been running, you know, Eckler Gordon these past couple of years. You want a number two back. You got to get that situated. But – I think this dude, Eckler, is going to go bananas. I think the ceiling is high. I think the ceiling is a poor man's CMC. And the floor is the Austin Eckler we've been getting even last year when he was putting work with, with Gordon. And it still was uh, one of the best uh, fantasy assets in the league. Like, we were ranking him, you know, him and Gordon, you know, top 15, even when they were in the lineup together. So, like, Gordon's gone now. Eckler, 20 touches last year with him out. He's going to eat, man. I love him. Yeah. All right, Raymond, now that you are sufficiently rankled uh, and you've given your, your uh, talk on, uh, on Eckler here, he's someone you think most certainly will not be a bust. Who do you think will bust? I think the most likely candidate is Todd Gurley. And the reason I say Gurley over like a David Johnson or a Leonard Fournette or even a Melvin Gordon is because I think Gurley has kind of lulled us to sleep. And we have – kind of forgotten about his risk because he hasn't actually missed many games, uh, even though he became a much more inefficient football player last year, he scored a boatload of touchdowns. And so he kept his owners happy. So he's not only kind of tricking us from, you know, just like the casual observer, you know, the, the eye test, uh, but, you know, we're, we're kind of looking at the numbers, but he tricks us. He tricks the models because he hasn't missed games. Um, you know, he has a high touchdown rate. Like he's going to an offense that uh, it's, we expect to be pretty decent, at least get a lot of yards. So a lot of people are kind of just slotting him into this Devontae Freeman role. Freeman actually had a career year uh, catching passes last year in terms of the volume. But uh, I don't think Gurley is going to actually do that because, if you look at the numbers and, and look at the, uh, you know, the metrics, Gurley's best asset at this point in his career is his pass blocking. Uh, he was extremely abysmal as a pass catcher. He was uh, the worst in the league in yards per route run. He, you know, he, he just became this guy that is not creating yardage the way he used to ever since that, that, that issue, you know, started popping up again. Uh, I think it was mid 2018. So um, he's a guy that, I know he hasn't really missed a ton of games yet. I know he really hasn't been completely unproductive yet, but I see it coming. Uh, players are more likely to sustain injuries playing on a surface like, uh, you know, in Atlanta. And uh, they also are a team that may keep four backs active on game days, including a guy in Quadri Allison who is a legitimate threat to get goal line work because why else would you have Quadri Allison active? So there are just a lot of red flags for me. Uh, and also dirt cutter running backs haven't necessarily – uh, with the world up uh, either. So um, that, that's the one guy for me that uh, that kind of stands out the most. But, uh, you know, Fournette, obviously, Chris Thompson is a guy that Jay Gruden has used on over 50% of the pass downs, uh, you know, these last few years that he was coaching him in Washington. Now, I, Thompson always plays like 10, 11 games, but uh, you kind of see the writing on the wall because Fournette had 100 targets last year, uh, barely averaged five yards a target and didn't score a touchdown on any of those 100 targets. So um, you could certainly see Fournette return to a lower, a much lower volume uh, pass catcher. And that would put a lot of pressure on him 
to have those monster games like he did last year. And you, you can't always count on, you know, a, a couple of like 200-yard games to bail you out. I don't think that team will be very good. I think they'll be on the wrong side of game script a lot. And so, um, you know, he's losing passing down work, which is what really kind of held his value and helped his consistency all year last year. Uh, it, it could be a rough go. And we know that the team is not exactly thrilled with Fournette. They tried to trade him. So uh, he's a guy that, uh, you know, I would be worried about. And then kind of some under-the-radar guys that that uh, kind of like Brady and Breeze we're not talking about as bust. But, um, you know, Alvin Kamara. And, and this is purely based on the fact that, you know, I, I, I take a look at every year at uh, Sports Injury Predictor and, and kind of look at their – their games missed predictions. Um, last year they had David Johnson is the most likely back to, um, you know, to get hurt and miss games. And we know how that turned out this year. It's Kamara. And uh, that kind of caught my eye a little bit. You know, they use kind of, uh, you know, proprietary algorithms that take into account past injury history and all these different things. But, um, you know, Kamara is a guy who kind of let us down a little bit last year. He's so good, but you know, if there's a guy that is going to kind of, you know, potentially just, you know, struggle with injuries again, that we're not really thinking about, with that label, um, I think it could be Kamara as much as I love him. Uh, and, and Ronald Jones is climbing a little too high. I still think that there are some red flags there in terms of the fact that Bruce Arians used a three-back rotation uh, for much of, you know, for all of the year last year. And, and it appears that he's set to do it again. You know, Agumba Wale plays about 25 to 30% of the, of the snaps, usually in a, in a pass-blocking role. And then you got, uh, you know, the McCoy signing lets you know that, you know, they draft Vol and they sign McCoy. They obviously want someone to kind of replace that barber role as well. So I think Jones is ceiling is a little bit capped, even though I do think he has some breakout potential. The buzz is starting to grow a, a little too much here. Yeah, Rayvon, uh, I agree. Jones uh, with the ceiling capped at 12 touchdowns and 1,500 yards. That sounds horrible. Oh my goodness. You know, you know what Matthew Freeman did a lot like on air, he listed a whole bunch of backs that like had these second years similar to Ronald Jones. He's like, yeah, like Saquon Barkley and Ezekiel Elliott was failing to mention that none of them averaged like a negative yards per carry their rookie year. Like <laughs> those guys. I think, no, I think Jones is going to have a decent year, but I just think like it's a math problem, right? If you're using a guy on pass downs, you know, 25 to 30% of the time, and you have three tight ends that could catch, so you're not going to send the running back on many routes, uh, he's still more or less going to be uh, a, you know, glorified two-down grinder who, you know, is in, is in a good offense where they're, you know, they're rotating three bats and he might get lucky and he might not. So I just think the buzz is growing a little too much right now. All right, Sean, who are you staying away from? Well, I need to pile on Gurley real quick. Um, I, I think with him, it, it comes down to opportunity costs, like I was saying. Oftentimes, it's people that, you know, they, they address quarterback, wide receiver, tight end. The first couple rounds is totally fine. But they're like, oh, crap, I need to get a running back. So they take Gurley. But you're, you're passing up on guys like Kenny Galladay, uh, Adam Thielen, Allen Robinson, DJ Moore, those types of guys, too. So the opportunity cost is what really – makes Gurley a bust potential for me. But Raybon hit on it. You know, the Falcons offense isn't great for running backs. They've um, produced the the bottom five and rush attempts inside the five each of the past two seasons, whereas the Rams were in the top five. Uh, and that's really something that running backs can't control. So Gurley definitely benefited from those easy scores. So I, I think, you know, uh, decline in rushing touchdowns, it's, it's going to make him appear like a bust. And I have his knee as like concern five for me, and it's still a huge concern. So I'm avoiding Gurley basically in all my all my drafts. And the one guy I do want to point out, I, I consider him a bust 
based solely on opportunity costs, and that's J.K. Dobbins. So I did my running back upside chart, and you know I, I do like his upside. Obviously, I, I consider him the 2021 starter, but I think people are kind of just assuming he has a, a good chance of leapfrogging Mark Ingram this year when he's healthy, and I, I just don't see it. He's probably going to need Mark Ingram to go down to really you know become a fantasy play. And even then, uh, I think people forget that Lamar Jackson is their best runner. So that's that's a lot of running back usage already going to Lamar Jackson. And then you still have Justice Hill. Even Dever, Devin DuVernay could have, you know, like a pass-catching back hybrid role. And Gus Edwards, you know, would, would take some goal line scores away. So I think J.K. Dobbins, his upside's even limited basically to the Mark Ingram role. So a low-end RB2. So in that range, uh, I know you love Cam Akers. I'm starting to like him even more. Um, you could take a guy like Cam Akers, who I think is probably the week one starter. So it's it's one of those things where, you know, RB30, uh, you're, you're probably investing too much draft capital and a guy that probably needs an injury to really see your lineup. So that's why I call Dobbins a bust, even though I do like his long-term potential. I think next year uh, he'll be a solid RB2 with RB1 upside, but uh, I just don't see it happening this year. All right, one guy I want to mention, and Sig, I want to get your thoughts on this because I've mm-hmm. I've talked about him with Raybon before. Someone that I, I wouldn't say he's he's going to be a bust, but I think he has underappreciated downside risk is Nick Chubb. Because Kareem Hunt, I don't want to say that he's like clearly the best running back on his team, but like there's a non-zero chance that he actually is the best running back on his team. He's certainly better as a receiver, and he might be close enough as a runner to where you could look at the two of them and say, you know what, maybe this should be a little bit more of a split backfield between the two. And with a new head coach coming in, there are some risk in terms of just the way that that offense is going to translate from Minnesota to Cleveland. So maybe that offense won't be as good as people are expecting it to be. And then also there's the risk of not knowing how the usage is going to be split up because we haven't seen Kevin Stefanski deploy these running backs before. So I look at Chubb and I totally respect the talent that he has. And I see the upside and imagine that he could be a top five back if everything goes right. But I could also see how Kareem Hunt actually just takes way more of the workload than anyone might imagine at this point. That's totally fair. I think that everything you said is legitimate concerns for Chubb. And in some ways, whether you take Chubb or Kenyon Drake, um, I mean, again, Chris would be on your shoulder saying, just take Austin Eckler. Just take Austin Eckler. He's in that mix there. Um, Josh Jacobs is in that mix there around the one-two turn. So I think the to add on to what you said, they didn't have Kareem Hunt uh, for the offseason. Uh, he had a hernia surgery. He was only entering the season halfway through. So we don't know how integrated he could be into the offense with more time, more ramp up. The organization's obviously committed to him. He's a very good running back. Chubb's numbers dropped off significantly when Hunt was there. And Chubb's more of a higher floor, lower ceiling play than some of those other running backs around that time. It's scoring system's important too, by the way. I mean, we won't talk about that much, but 0.5 PPR, old school standard scoring. Chubb's better. Uh, the good side of Chubb, the pro side, half full glass of water is this is a running back offense, the Stefanski offense. And he was a 1,500-yard rusher in an offense that was bumbling its way through the dark last year. So what could Chubb do in an offense that's operating efficiently? 
with play calls that are efficient, with a, you know, an ethos, not to mention that they added Jedrick Wills and Jack Conklin. And so the tackle play is going to be boosted way up. So I think you can make a, uh, the pros and cons for Chubb, but I think you're right. Really, I think what people should take on what you said is target Kareem Hunt around the fifth, sixth round if you don't have your second running back, maybe even if you do, because there's a lot of upside there. I have an interesting take on this. I actually think that Kareem Hunt has more bust potential at his ADP than Nick Chubb. Because the one thing about Kareem Hunt is that everyone says, hey, you know, Kareem is a new coach and staff. Kareem Hunt could be used differently. But let's remember, Kareem Hunt came back last year. This was a guy who was a star running back in, in Kansas City. He comes back and – they essentially use him as a glorified slot receiver, barely give him you know, any carries in the backfield because Nick Chubb is that good. Then the offseason comes along. You know, we hear there, there is a quote you know, about Hunt about how you know, I just have to accept the fact that I'm, I'm the number two guy. Like I'm not the guy here. Uh, Nick Chubb is really good. And I, I kind of agree with Sig. I think you know, this, is a, this is a running back offense. But let's remember – you know, Kevin Stefanski came to Minnesota and, you know, Dalvin Cook was a guy that had been a high volume guy, but hadn't stayed healthy. You know, a lot of people were really high on Alexander Madison because, you know, thought, you know, even with Cook healthy, maybe, uh, you know, Madison's factors in, you know, more than we think, but he used Cook till the wheels fell off. And, and I think he could actually do the same for Chubb. I think Chubb could improve in the pass game. And the, the, at the point where Kareem Hunt is going, we're kind of, baking in the fact that he is going to remain in that high, high volume slot, like receiver or just receiver role, pass catching role out of the backfield, you know, lining up in the slot, doing a little bit of that. And this is a new coaching staff that didn't use their backs and, you know, in that, it doesn't use their backs in that way necessarily. Now they may start because they have a player like Hunt, but uh, like the fifth round is, you know, where he goes a lot of the time, the fifth round, sometimes the sixth, that's really early for a guy that's, uh, behind a guy that's going to get 20 touches a game. Uh, so uh, I think Kareem Hunt actually has more bust potential because you can you can get locked in running backs in those first couple of rounds and, and just be drafting wide receivers um, where Hunt is going, and you're going to get some really good wide receivers, whereas Hunt might be a guy that's like fringe flex value uh, a lot of weeks and not really the ceiling that you want uh, unless Chubb gets hurt. Uh, Chubb has been pretty durable you know, so far in his career. So um, I'm just saying, I actually think uh, Hunt is a bigger um, bus candidate. All right, let's get to these wide receivers. Sig, yeah. there are a lot of wide receivers who could be fantasy viable in this year's draft. It, it feels like a very deep position, uh, but that, you know, could also mean there are tons of guys who might disappoint. Who are some guys you just want to stay away from? Just the simple math is that guys that will disappoint most likely are the guys that go earlier, not because they disappoint necessarily, but because they don't provide a big advantage over the wide receivers that were going later than them. You know, if a second round wide receiver performs like a guy that was going in the fourth or fifth, which can be because the guys in the fourth or fifth have a lot of upside, which they do, but it also be downside. So two of the wide receivers I'm avoiding in the second round. And again, this is why the second round ends up being a quarterback tight end round for me, especially if I'm picking in the second half of the round. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins, 
And we already touched on this during the show. Uh, he's not a big downfield receiver. 150 targets is probably very optimistic. That's what he was getting as a floor with Deshaun Watson. There's establishing chemistry. Kyler Murray is just a different kind of quarterback than Deshaun Watson. And I think that also Arizona established themselves as a pretty good run offense last year and will be even better with Kenny and Drake and Chase Edmonds hopefully staying healthy. So I, I see no way for Hopkins to get the even close to the targets he got in Houston, and he's not going to be a big play downfield receiver. And then Chris Godwin, and again, this has already come up. Love these themes that keep coming up. You're just not going to have these frenetic game scripts that Jameis Winston created, like setting the house on fire and putting it out. It's just not going to happen. And Godwin benefited from that part of the game more than Evans statistically. The uh, Tampa offense can have more two tight end sets, so he's not going to be in the slot as much. So I just think, again, ponying up a second-round pick for that, too rich. Sean, who are you staying away from? So for me, uh, the first guy is Allen Robinson. Uh, I still think he's one of the most talented receivers in the game. Should see a a ton of targets. We still don't know who his uh, starting quarterback is, either Nick Foles or Mitch Trubisky, and I'm, I don't know if that matters. <laughs> but, you know, his 98 reception, 1,150 yards, seven touchdown season last year is his ceiling, and which is a great season. He finishes the wide receiver 11, but he's being drafted as a wide receiver 9, so that's why I'm just not getting him. I, there's always someone in the draft that values him way more than I do. And, you know, last year he benefited from a lot of people being out. You know, Taylor Gabriel missed seven games. Anthony Miller, he was dealing with an ankle injury to begin the season. I don't think he was right until, say, week 10. Trey Burton and Adam Shaheen both missed eight games, so they were running out J.P. Holtz and Jesper Horstead at tight end. I mean, he had very little competition for targets, so I think that's why we saw his ceiling last year. Um, you know, they bring in Ted Ginn to replace Taylor Gabriel. Jimmy Graham, even though we love bashing him on here, he's a he's well above uh, J.P. Holtz and Jesper Horstead. And then second-round pick on Cole Komet. So I think he just has improved weapons around him, if you want to call them weapons. You know, an 85 catch, uh, 1,100 receiving yards, and 6.5 touchdowns is a fair projection for him. So he's wide receiver 16. I think that's that's a fair time to take him. So I'm just not getting him inside the top 10. And the other guy is uh, Keenan Allen. I mean, we already hit on it, but the Chargers offense will be a little more conservative. Less yards to go around. But they still have Austin Eckler. They still have Mike Williams. They still have Hunter Henry. So a guy like Keenan Allen that banks on volume is just going to get less volume. It's just it's a fact. Um, and he's he's never going to really make it up with touchdown production. You know, his, his career high is eight, his rookie season. Ever since then, he's right, right around six touchdowns. So, I mean, I, I'm projecting him closer to five. So in that range, I mean, I have him ranked as the wide receiver 23, but in that range, I'd rather take flyers on, you know, a DK Metcalf, DJ Shark, or uh, Terry McLaurin, there's just more upside there. And I think their floor is just as safe as Keenan Allen. So again, this is more of an opportunity cost situation where at that range, uh, I'd rather go with the upside than just, you know, the proven veteran like Allen. So that's why, that's why I'm concerned about bust. I, I just think it's going to be hard for him to match the numbers we're used to. Sean, I'm with you on both of those guys. Raybon, who are the two that you are looking to fade? It's tough because I really like all of the wide receivers pretty much across the board, you know, in the, in the top 36. Uh, I think the guy that – I think Robinson is right there at the top of the list just because I agree with Sean. I think it's going to be tough for him to really do better than what he did last season, and you're paying top costs for him. Like, Allen Robinson may – get somewhere close to that those numbers again but there's really no room for him to to beat his cost like 
now you're talking about him having to outproduce guys like, you know, Julio Jones or, or, or DeAndre Hopkins to, to really pay off because you're drafting him as a top 10 receiver. Uh, another guy who uh, I consider in that same category, and it's probably going to be a little more controversial, but Amari Cooper. There's a huge range of outcomes with him. You know, he's entering, you know, the, the age where wide receivers usually um, have their best season. You know, he's 26, so he could have a monster year. But he's been inconsistent throughout his career. And um, when I'm taking a receiver in the top 12, I want a guy who uh, I can count on week in, week out to put up consistent numbers, even if they're not always going to give me the monster Tyreek Hill games. Um, I, I want, you know, double-digit points at least. Uh, and Amari Cooper just had a, you know, even with Dak throwing for nearly 5,000 yards last year, which by the way, you know, that could be, that's not necessarily something that Dak's going to beat this year. Like I, I have a Dak MVP ticket, but like, let's face it, like, you know, 4,900 yards and all those, in all those touchdowns, that's, that's something that he's going it, to, it's tough to replicate. Um, but Amari Cooper, uh, two targets, one catch, three yards against the Jets three catches for 38 yards on eight targets against Detroit. The next week, two targets, no catches against the Pats. You kind of expect that one, but another ugly stat line. In the fantasy uh, playoffs, you know, week 15 against the Rams, two, two targets, one catch, 19 yards. The next week, he gets 12 targets against Philly. Every wide receiver eats against Philly. 12 targets Amari Cooper gets from Dak Prescott, and he turns him into four targets, uh, four catches for 24 yards. He's just too inconsistent. Uh, for me to to really own a lot of uh, at that price and we've kind of seen this as a theme with him throughout his career um, maybe it's due to injuries had kind of trouble you know, he's played through a lot of injuries so give him credit but um, he's had trouble in the red zone a lot of times he went through that stretch where he was dropping everything in the red zone uh, he he went through that weird half season in Oakland before he came to Dallas when he just wasn't a good receiver uh, you know randomly for a half season so he, if I'm looking at guys, and I'm nitpicking here, because again, I think the value is that receiver once you get past this, the, the second round. But Amari is another one of those guys going on the high end, like Allen Robinson, that uh, he's going to really have to, to to do a lot and be a lot more consistent to pay off his cost. There's a lot of downside risk, and there's even an outside shot. And and I don't think this is true of any of the other receivers going in this range, but there's an outside shot that Amari Cooper is the third best receiver on his team this year or the third, you know, the number three in terms of targets, because, you know, Michael Gallup and, and Cooper kind of replicated each other's numbers. Like they don't, they weren't really far off in terms of the, the productivity last year. CD lamb could just be a special guy. Like, you know, he could be a guy that just bursts on the scene from the jump and that will only exacerbate Cooper's inconsistency. So um, you know, if, I, if I'm nitpicking, I, I see some, some downside risks and some red flags with, with Amari. Okay. You talked a long time for just nitpicking a guy. And <laughs> Raybon, <laughs> this is a horrible take. This is a horrible take. Amari <sighs> Cooper is going to crush this year. That Dallas offense is going to be very good. We're going to see Cooper line up more in the slot than anyone expects because that's actually the natural place for him to be given that Gallup and Lamb are the two guys around him. Cooper in the slot is going to have really easy matchups, maybe the easiest matchups he's had in his career. He has the best quarterback of his career throwing to him, the best play caller, and the best head coach that he's ever had. And, and he's, in five years, had 4,000-yard seasons. 
Like, what more do you want this guy to have done besides the consistency thing? Which I'm not going to like big. downplay that. I, I, I admit that that is big. But what happens if he actually becomes just a little more consistent? And it's not hard to imagine that happening given the circumstances around him now. Amari Cooper is going to smash this year, and this is going to sound like a horrible take. That said, I know I know you were nitpicking. I know I know I know you're nitpicking. Well, no, I just want to point out, and this is like something you know for the listeners. When we're talking about busts, it's all about range of outcomes. Like the one of the first things I said was that Amari Cooper has a wide range of outcomes. He could absolutely smash this year. I'm not denying that. But what is a true bust? A true bust generally is going to be someone something that we don't see coming right? It's going to be something where we're only focused on one side of that range of outcomes. And we kind of talk ourselves into that one side and forget that there's this other percentage chance. He just is inconsistent or that Gallup is, you know, kind of equal to him. And CeeDee Lamb is as good as advertised. And he's kind of this, like in the mix of this, this triangle. And he's the one going in the top 10. I'm just pointing out that there's downside risk with taking Amari as a top 10 receiver. Okay, two guys I want to touch on quickly on the way to uh, talking about the tight ends. I am pessimistic about these guys, although I uh, acknowledge that they could explode this year and what I'm about to say could look like a horrible take. But DK Metcalf and AJ Brown, two guys uh, who had fantastic rookie seasons last year, but both of whom play in very run-focused offenses. And if they don't get much more volume than they had last year. And if they experience any regression and efficiency, both of them could really underwhelm considering that they are going as top 24 wide receivers. So they are guys uh, who have fantastic physical traits, but uh, I'm just a little pessimistic about what we see out of them this year. They, they both, if things break right, could be top 10 receivers. Uh, but I, I think they also have underappreciated downside risk considering their ADPs. Sig, let's get to the tight ends. Who are some of the guys you're a little pessimistic about? There's a no man's land between the top four tight ends and your favorite tight ends outside of the top 10. Everyone's going to have different favorites. So you could shoot like a shooting gallery, just patoom, patoom, put them up, shoot them down. Uh, the two that I will highlight, one is Darren Waller. And it's just because how much of his production was because the Raiders didn't have anything a wide receiver and how much of his a wonderful story, a great breakout uh, season. He didn't have much involvement in the red zone. They got Jason Witten. They Foster Moreau's back. So that doesn't look like it's going to change. So there's just a very thin margin of error here when you're taking a tight end at number five or number six. Uh, the other one is Hunter Henry. And again, it's just that idea of the Chargers offense. I just don't see fantasy overachievers in the passing game coming out of the Chargers offense this year. Uh, Charles Clay was the top targeted player I think one year with Tyrod Taylor and got a healthy amount of targets with Tyrod Taylor so Hunter Henry could still be okay this year but again if you're not waiting for a late round tight end you either want someone who gives you a distinct advantage like the top four and I just don't know if Henry's going to do that all right Sean who are the tight ends you are looking to stay away from well, uh, I like Evan Ingram as a player, uh, but he kind of sticks out to me as a guy that I'm, I'm typically avoiding just because of where he's going in the draft. I, I typically, like, if I don't get one of the elite tight ends, I, I tend to wait. Um, and he's one of those guys that does have uh, injury history that a bit worries him, especially if you're using, you know, a six-round pick on a guy like uh, Ingram. You, you kind of want him to be, you know, a guy that can play through injury. Plus, you know, that all the weapons they have there with Sterling Shepard, Golden Tate, Darius Slayton, even Saquon Barkley, 
it's hard to see how you know he'll be able to stay consistent uh, with everyone healthy. Um, but the the one guy I really wanted to focus on was Austin Hooper, who you know I, I had the most shares of last year, and, and he goes he goes in a range where. It's kind of ironic because I say this is kind of the range where you, you want to get an Austin Hooper, Mark Andrews, or Darren Waller from last year, and I'm telling you not to draft uh, Austin Hooper. But, um, it, I mean, it has to do with, you know, last year I was drafting him because of Dirk Cutter's scheme typically produces tight end ones. And I think if you, if you want this year's Austin Hooper, just take Hayden Hurst. Um, but, hey, uh, Austin Hooper's upside is severely limited this year. There, you know, we mentioned Kevin, Kevin Stefanski's offense is going to be, uh, you know, two tight end set heavy. Um, he's going to have to compete with Odell, uh, Jarvis Landry, even Kareem Hunt for targets. So I just think his upside is capped. So in this range, you're really just wanting to go for a league-winning pick like a Noah Fant, uh, Mike Jacecki, TJ Hawkinson, even Dallas Goddard. So just locking in Austin Hooper, I think you're going to regret it. And that's, that's where I consider him a bust, even though he's going later is you're kind of just kind of being forced to start him every week and it's going to, it's going to cap your upside a bit. So that's why um, I'm avoiding Hooper and basically all my drafts this year when I, you know, specifically went out of my way to target him in most of my leagues. So it's kind of a flipped scenario this year for me on Hooper. Yeah, Sean, I'm, I'm with you on Hooper. I have him more as a, uh, a like lower tight end two mm-hmm. than a low tight end one. So someone I'm, I'm really looking to avoid Rayvon, a tight end or two you do not like everybody going late like everybody after that top seven because so you know earlier I kind of said that yeah you know bust generally early round you know when you're talking about starter value but I do think this is an exception and it's these late round tight ends and, and the reason is as Sig mentioned everyone you can like them all there there's positives about all of them but that's the issue I don't know which one to choose. And it's not like quarterback, which is the most predictable position where, you know, a combination of using a quarterback's pass data and, and the matchup and, and the Vegas lines, you can really come to a, a very solid, you know, kind of streaming situation and be cycling guys in and out. It's a lot harder to, to kind of get tight end right week in and week out. Um, and it's going to be a very hard to kind of pick the right one because remember Zach Ertz, even if people are kind of bored with him going as a tight end four, his floor is still probably the tight end four or tight end five, something like that. Darren Waller, even though I expect him to take a step back, he had 1,100 you know, yards last year. He still may be far enough ahead of these guys that are going to be you know, eighth through 12th that you're, you're going to be behind the eight ball at tight end if you miss out on a top four guy. I think even if you miss out on a second tier guy, because at least those guys, Higby, Waller, Engram, have that upside to get you those five catches you know, those 80, 90 yard, 100 yard games. Whereas the guys after them, they're all kind of like three and a half catches per game guys. And I I like all of them. I can make a case for all of them, but I don't know which one, which means it it doesn't do me any good. And I don't feel as confident streaming because there's just such a high variance with uh, the consistency at the position on a week to week basis outside of the elite guys. Sig, I have one final tight end question I want to ask you here, and you will be the, uh, the final arbiter on this. Two quarterbacks that we've talked about uh, who could potentially be bust. Uh, you mentioned Kyler Murray. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sean and uh, in, in Rayvon, I believe, both mentioned Aaron Rodgers. At the tight end position, which guy do you like more? Jace Sternberger or Dan Arnold? Arnold. That's got to be <laughs> Yeah. Man. Love it. Yeah. Look at- hey, look, here's the thing. Go back to the interview that Jay Sternberger gave this offseason. He sounds like he's trying to make 
his stepdad be nice to him for the first time. I mean, he's saying, Hey, I'm working hard. I hope Aaron sees that he gives me, sometimes he'll acknowledge me as a nickname for me. Uh, I'm afraid that he's going to be mad at me for even saying this and see when he sees this interview, you know, Aaron Rodgers is tough to get into a circle of trust. Bobby Tanyan is actually the one that is in Rogers circle trust. And you're not hearing any reports out of the Packers training camp telling you that you should dismiss Tanyan for Sternberger because, and Tanyan's quite athletic and you know, he's, he's got receiving skills, but Arnold is being totally overlooked. Totally, totally overlooked. Yes. <laughs> no, we're going to be, we're, we're going to have a lot of fun with this, Chris. This is going to be like playing the encore that makes everybody get the lighter out, you know, because Arnold was added and the week he was added, he scored, right? The week he was added, and he scored on this sprawling play in the end zone. And Kyler Murray has said, I've never had anybody like him before. Then in week 17, and we should never overlook week 17, he had a big game. When he got an opportunity after joining the team in December, he had big games. Now, granted, they had some shortages of wide receiver, but their red zone offense was holding them back last year terribly. Dan Arnold is the answer to that. Remember Jason Morrow? I mean, you can have a tight end in this offense that basically plays big wide receiver, and Arnold is a former wide receiver. So I, drafts aren't long enough to take him, you know? <laughs> but yeah. probably you know, week two, week three, or a matchup play, or just someone that we should have our mind open to being a much bigger part of the offense. Than, and you'll see little hints and dribbles coming out of Cardinals camp or even the offseason, like, don't sleep on Dan Arnold. Dan Arnold could be a big part of this offense. So absolutely, I'm fascinated by Arnold. This is what I get for asking the question. I mean, I know this is what I've been saying. Dan Arnold, he's not really a true tight end. He's kind of this tight end wide receiver hybrid. They run a spread offense. They need another, you know, they need another guy to step up. And you got DeAndre Hopkins. And so what that means is when you are talking about streaming, where you are talking about a showdown slate DFS player, just a min price guy in a Millie maker, look at Dan Arnold. If we're all high on Kyler Murray and we're taking him as a top five quarterback, there are going to be weeks where you know, somebody else besides Hopkins or, or Christian Kirk go off. I don't know if that's going to be Larry at this stage, maybe in week one or two, but, you know, as the season progresses, probably not. Uh, he's a totally different player than Max Williams. So Max Williams will be in on some of the big, you know, heavy personnel and they need to pick up a yard or two. Or, but, but Dan Arnold is when, they're, when they spread the offense and they're in their base, Arnold is going to play and he's going to have one-on-one matchups and, and, and he can exploit them. All right, Sig, what do you guys have going on at Football Guys? Yeah, just all those final preparations for drafts. I know a lot of drafts have been pushed back until the very end of the preseason. Uh, our training cap reports, you can check out the free Rate My Team. It'll give grades to everybody in your draft. That's fun. Uh, I, and I, I got an A in the Apex Writers League, so I know that this is not going to be my year in that league. Anyway, you know, just like everybody else, we're obsessing. It's fun to have so many brain cells devoted to football and play with our puzzles and think about how things are going to go and have that adrenaline release when they really play here in a few weeks. Uh, it's exciting to have this community. It's exciting to be part of the show too, by the way, you guys run a, an excellent ship here and I'm glad to be on this a little one hour tour. All right. So it is awesome having you on the show. Everyone be sure to follow him on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom and check out his podcast. It's a, it's a good little podcast. So you, you've been doing it for a, a number of years now and you know, what, what episode number are you? Oh, I don't know if you keep geez, track of, of the number well, of episodes. It's like 3,000 something. Though. Yeah. Yeah. The first one was recorded by putting the headset from the phone next to a tape recorder. 
we were dealing with ancient technology. It's fun. Honestly, the podcast scene in fantasy football has become so talented and there's so many people doing so many good things. I'm just glad I'm a made man, you know, because I don't know if I could make it in this world. Yes, uh, that's absolutely the uh, the way that I feel, as evidenced by my Jace Sternberg, Sternberg <laughs> take. So, uh, all right. <laughs> Everyone, be sure to follow Sig once again on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. In our next NFL episode, we will break down our 2020 fantasy sleepers. Keep an eye out for that. You can follow Sean, Chris, and me in the Action Network app at the underscore oddsmaker, Chris Raybon, and Matt F. The Oracle. Please subscribe to and rate and review the show and listen and download on Spotify. See you again next episode. We're finished talking. <laughs>